Stop. I told you last time that makes me nervous. Just, just, just to pretend I'm giving a, a, an accounting lecture and then I can only improve on that. Thank you, brother, for the, and thank you, church, for the warm welcome. It's a privilege and a blessing to be with you uh, this uh, morning. So soon after the last uh, sermon on transformation, and, and the good thing about that is that some of what we'll be sharing this morning is tangentially related to that. As we continue our journey of faith, grounded in, in God's word, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, now we're going to see what that transformation might look like in the area of relationships. So it's a little, gonna be a little bit more challenging than last time perhaps, and gonna hit some more nerves than last time perhaps, or hopefully it will be encouraging to all of you. Am I standing in the right spot? So I'm still hearing feedback. So a little bit about my story as I introduced the concept of relationships. Uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, I think I said that last time. Uh, it's a, I grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition that uh, I consider to be part of evangelical Christianity. And as such, I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to be introduced to the importance of a strong biblical foundation for my faith. And that strong biblical foundation for the faith gave me some advantages that I grew up to take for granted that I now look back on and say, boy, I, I really got lucky. And the first advantage that it granted me was a foundation for the things that I believe that are outside of just my own feelings or personal opinion. I can look at the scriptures and say, here is why. I think what I think and I believe what I believe. I remember a uh, long time ago, a friend of mine, his name's Vince, he's a musician just like I am, but he's a, he's a little older. I see him a lot less now because he's retired and if you're retired, why would you sit through a conversation, a long-winded conversation with me when you can be golfing? So, so he's in Arizona now enjoying uh, retirement. But uh, we used to work together, and he, he's, he's a, a very devout Catholic, loves the Lord. Uh, but he had an issue that he needed clarity on, and he knew that I was a person of faith. And he said, can we pray together about this issue? And I was like, oh, sure, wonderful. Let's go and pray. And we went to our church and prayed. And after a couple, a couple of days, he simmered on that, felt better. His, he got clarity on the, the issue. God spoke and worked in his life and praised the Lord for that. But then he came to me later and he said, man, I, I, in our conversations and in our prayers, I really am impressed by how well you know the scriptures. It's something that I, I just haven't focused on. I haven't prioritized that in my life as much. And I think I, think I want to do that some more. So praise God for that. But again, it, it, when he said that, I I don't know, it's just something that as an evangelical, I just did. So I took it for granted. But, but he was blessed by that, and he said, that, this is a good thing. I took it for granted. The other thing is relying less on human authority and human leadership for, and human authority for authoritative things, matters of the faith, and relying on Scripture. So those are the three things that I look at as being advantages growing up in the evangelical tradition. I really... I grew up with that, I take it for granted, and I now sort of cherish it. But as I've gotten older, I notice that things come with trade-offs. 
You know, a friend of mine really runs like 50 miles a week, and the, the big advantage is that he's in excellent health. The trade-off is his feet can get really raw. Like he gets, if he doesn't have the top-of-the-line expensive sneaker, he's in a lot of pain. So what are, what are some of the trade-offs of growing up with this really strong biblical foundation? Is there anything that we can look at and say, hey, warning, be, be careful with this? And I'm going to share that. It's, it's, it's what I call the, the great leap that we all make at one point in our lives. We rely on God's word. God's word is without error. We do a pretty good job at following God's word. Therefore... We are without error. Alex, can you put your jujitsu belt back on and just talk about how you got choked out? Because that, that was a lot more fun. It's going to get worse. God's word is faithful and true. Without error, I follow it. Therefore, I am without error. We don't do that intentionally, but it's almost impossible at some point in your, in, your, in your life not to do that. Almost impossible. Because the chances that you're wrong about something sometime are 100%. But if you grow up in the tradition that says you, you, that all the important things in your worldview are firmly rooted on the infallible word of God, the chances of you realizing that you're wrong are close to 0%. Why am I saying this? Because I'm here to share with you something this morning that I believe a lot of us get wrong. And that is the issue of relationships. We in our spiritual tradition are very likely to be misprioritizing relationships because we're focused on other things. We get this wrong consistently. We have a blind spot. So the reason I'm introducing this concept is because it's hard to talk about your blind spots. Another buddy of mine said to me that, you know, you're not led astray. You're not led into error and apostasy in one sermon or in one teaching. It happens gradually over time. And it happens because you start emphasizing some things and de-emphasizing some others and focusing on some things and focusing. And over time, this selective focusing can lead you to an expression of Christianity that's very different from biblical Christianity. And that happens, it happens over time. What I didn't know, and I'm like, yeah, and I had in my mind, I agreed with him, we were having lunch, we were on our lunch break, and he's a, a believer as well. But, and I had in my mind my own prejudices and biases about who those people are that drifted. And then I, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, man, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, boy. 
So how? We, how is it that focusing on biblical fundamentals can possibly lead us astray? How is that possible? And that's because if you would have asked me in my, in, throughout most of my life where relationships fall in your Christian expression of faith and in Christian fundamentals, I would have said the relationships fall in one of two buckets. The first bucket is the people who are wrong who need to be saved. And the second bucket is people who are right, who agree with me, and who I can help work with them so that we can save the ones who are wrong. And this may sound crass and silly, but if you dig deep and you are honest with yourself, this is what it is for a lot of evangelical Christians. If you push hard enough, you may choose different words to describe this. You may choose being a champion of the truth or being grounded. But in that, relationships fall into this distant, nice-to-have thing that so long as you continue to be right about key things, we can have a relationship. And if you're wrong, it is my duty to call you out and to avoid you like the plague so that God can honor my pure purity of thought, purity of belief. That's how I understood relationships for the better part of three decades. And that's how a lot of us understand relationships, and that's how a lot of us here in this room understand relationships. Choosing different words, making it sound prettier than what it really is. That's fine. Look, I'm there many times. The problem with this approach is that it's not biblical. When when I think about Christian fundamentals, I think about the Christian fundamentals in in the Nicene Creed. If you're not familiar with the Nicene Creed, I encourage you to, hopefully after the message, go into your device and just, you can do it now, but it's, come on, like, I'm trying my best here um, to keep you focused. Just swipe away at the Wikipedia and just Google Nicene Creed, read the Nicene Creed. As you read the Nicene Creed, you're going to say, yeah, yeah, this is the fundamental Christian beliefs. One God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. And then evangelicals would, would append the scripture. Scripture, sola scriptura, I think is the name of the doctrine. Sorry, theologians, if I'm mangling it, but it's, it's the doctrine of the supremacy of the scriptures more than relying on a priest or a cardinal or a cleric of some sort as far as that. So it's the Nicene Creed principles plus Sola Scriptura. These are the fundamentals. And for most of my life, I lived to study, live, breathe, and defend these principles against apostasy, error, and confusion. Until I came across the scripture for today. In Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn with me to that, we're going to read that and see how did I realize that my focus, not that my beliefs may, may be necessarily wrong, but my emphasis and my focus, my GPS was a little broken. Okay? So it says in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, 
Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is, in, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, thou fool, or you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This one hurt. Because I have those thoughts about people all the time. But let's play with, you want to, ready to play a word game? Play a word game. You fool, you idiot, you snowflake. Mm. You, 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 you dumb polluter or whatever. Like, how, why is it that you don't get this? Well, if you have those thoughts and feelings and you're posting them on your Facebook feed, Jesus says, you're in danger of the fires of hell. I'm like shaking here. This is scary. I'm like, I'm deleting my account right now. I am not. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your arm causes you to sin, rip it off. If your Facebook feed causes you to sin, just delete the account. Twitter, Done. I don't have one. This is serious. Anyone who says to your says you idiot will be in danger of the fires of hell if if they're if they're wrong about key theological concepts. No. No. Right or wrong, how you treat your brother or sister matters a ton to God. And that's when my views began to evolve, and I said, boy, maybe, just maybe, relationships are a core fundamental Christian doctrine. Oh, that's terrifying. That's a terrifying thought. Maybe relationships are essential. Like as essential as the ones in the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, notably, drafted in 325 AD. So it's not like we really invented anything new. So chill. Like we're, we're just, we're here worshiping very established tradition. 325 AD. You read it, relationships are not there. The articles of faith of most churches Borrow from the Nicene Creed. Again, relationships are not there. So they, they're, they're here. We, we do a good job here to focus on relationships. But again, think of relationships as a core Christian doctrine as we continue. And think about that. Now, let it simmer around, swim around in your head as we continue with Matthew 5, now verse 23. Therefore, therefore, Matthew 5, 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go. Everyone say first. First go. I always wanted to do that. I don't think I've ever done that. Made the congregation repeat something. Box checked. Um, I can see the appeal, Pastor. 
first go and be reconciled to them so long as they are correct in their book. No, again. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Now let me stop right there. When Jesus is using the, the, the imagery of sacrifice, you have to understand that he's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, and you have to understand that the image of sacrifice and offering gifts is considered one of the highest forms of authentic, pure worship of Yahweh. So if there's anything that God would prioritize is the worship of him. He deserves all the glory. He's worthy of praise. We sang about that this morning. But God is saying, Jesus, the full manifestation of the Godhead is saying, just so you know, I care more about how you treat each other than I care about the authentic worship that you may have to offer. In fact, it's not authentic worship if you are not reconciled. What is to be reconciled? The Greek word, dialiso has two meanings. To change is one of the meanings. The second meaning is to be made friends again. We are servants of a relational God. And we are followers of a relational gospel. Different from a transactional, okay? What's the difference between relational and transactional? I'll give you in a minute or two. Uh, yeah, hi, this is Jim from Gold's Gym. Your payment is past due. If you want to restore your relationship with us, you must settle the bill. That's a transaction. Jesus says in, in verse 23, First, be made friends again. So you restore the role of that person as you have the title of friend. Then he says, I think he offers in some practical advice, verses 24 and 25, about settling transactions. Then go and offer your gift at the altar. But the, the key is that the relationship is separate from the transaction. What is transaction? Is a quid pro quo, a give and take. Uh, if you do this, then you'll be restored. No, 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 no. Be first reconciled unconditioned. There is no precondition. You, you go and you restore that person to the title friend. Then you go and offer your authentic gift at the altar. So what God, is telling to the, what God is telling me here, the challenge rattled me to the bone, is that God is, order, is, is, doing the, the, is signaling to us what his priorities are and what his emphasis is and what his focus is. And as we, do, as, as we, as, as we seek to follow biblical Christianity, we cannot ignore that he is a relational God. And so what, in, in closing... How can we look for opportunities? And I'll give you a couple of examples. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Again, almost every single one of these fruits is relational in nature. Why on earth do you need patience for just you in the closet with God? God is perfect. If anything, you're wrong and he's right. You don't need patience for God. You need patience for your annoying coworker. Why would you need gentleness? It's not for God. It's for your annoying kid who never listens to you. Because punching is illegal, so you have to... You got to think, what options do I have left? Oh, oh, that's right, the Holy Spirit, gentleness. <laughs> Why do I need self-control to, like, not punch up to God when I'm mad? No. It's so that when I, want, I have that juicy Facebook post that's going to hurt 50% of the people that read it, that I can say, delete, block, do not pass go, do not collect 200, whatever the terminology is. It voted off the island, eliminated from the competition. No, no, no. Gentleness, goodness, be good to the people you can't stand. There is no gospel without relationships, church. You think you're following the Bible. No, we're not. Not until we solve this. Not until we are reconciled. Not until we are dialiso. Made friends again. You cannot be a Christian if you hate 50% of the people. You can't be a follower of Christ if you hate half of the people you encounter. It is un. Biblical, and we have to repent. And we have an opportunity to do that this month. Two last scriptures. Consider John, 1 John chapter 4. We love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, he hates his brother, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they can see, there's no way that they can love God whom they have not seen. Cut it out. Cut it out. Me too. You idiot, you fool. No. We're heading into an election year. That, that's, that's an opportunity to cut it out. Black History Month. And I'm a black guy talking about Black History Month. They're the elephant in the room. Genesis chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I'm going to give you some homework. 
Again, go to your addictive whatever. Swipe away at the Wikipedia, at whatever, at Google. Not at ultimate racism.com slash virus forward slash malware, but this regular, and learn two or three stories. Because according to Pew Research Center, the black community in America is very statistically likely, more likely than the general population, to be Christians. And significantly more statistically likely, almost 80%, to be committed Christians who would answer the question that faith is central to my life. You know what the general population in America is to that question? 56%. The black population is 80%. Actions and attitudes and feelings towards African Americans in this country are overwhelmingly statistically likely to be actions, feelings, and attitudes towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're going to be followers of the Savior who, who, who says, love your enemies, pray those who persecute you, forgive those who wrong you, I hope that we have something better to ask, ask, answer to the God for our brothers and sisters. Where is your brother? Maybe your brother is doing very well, like I am, most of the time. But maybe your brother's incarcerated. Maybe your brother's sick. Maybe disproportionately affected by violence from, from law enforcement. You don't have to agree with the movement politically, but you shouldn't be ready to throw up when everybody says Black Lives Matter. You don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to agree or be a part of the movement, but understand that they're very likely, if it's a big enough population, there are, your brothers and sisters are there, affected by this. So your first instinct should not be, oh, God, this again? Why can't we just get over it? No, that is unloving and unchristian. I would say the same thing in Veterans Day for veterans that are affected by combat. How can, the Christian attitude, how can I pray? How can I help? Is, is there somebody suffering? Or do you have PTSD, addicted to opiate? How can I help? How can I pray? What can I do? That is the Christian attitude. Can we do that, church, in 2020? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this challenge, God. God, we're, we, we are a broken people. We make mistakes. Sometimes we get things wrong. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to continue to discern your good, perfect, and pleasing will, but to have a heart that moves with compassion with those around us who suffer. For our first instinct, God, to be love, compassion, prayer, and service, and not skepticism and cynicism. For our hearts to be moved, God, with thoughts to pray, to help those in need. For your word says, whatever we do to the least of these, you do unto me. We do unto you. So, God, may the consuming fire of your spirit burn away any attitude or feeling 
or view that is unloving, uncaring, and unchristian. So that our witness going forth to the rest of the world may be not how much we know about the Bible or how right we are on our facts, but how deeply we care and how miraculously your spirit draws us close together as brothers and sisters and how we're miraculously reconciled along racial, ethnic, political, and economic boundaries that the world has manufactured, that divine love that only comes from God will shatter those walls and make us a loving, caring, and truly Christian church. In Christ's name, amen. 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 God bless you.